You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. One of the things that I love about my Bible is the raw realism with which Scripture portrays men. Even the heroes of our faith are portrayed with all of their flaws fully displayed for all of us to see. Take Abraham, for instance, father of the nation of Israel, the patriarch of faith, lover of God, the keeper of the covenant, and a liar. Twice he lied. And he took his wife's foolish advice. And because of that, we have the Middle East. And then there is Moses, the great deliverer, the great lawgiver, author of the first five books of the Old Testament, led millions out of bondage in Egypt through signs and wonders and into the desert where he interceded and judged and led those multitudes of people for 40 years. But it was his anger that kept him out of the promised land that he led others to. And then there's David, skillful leader, gifted musician, gifted author in the lineage of Christ, a man after God's own heart, and an adulterer and a murderer. There's Jonah, prophet of God, proclaimer of God's truth, and an apprehensive, bigoted, selfish, vengeful, racist, really. They want to proclaim the truth to the Ninevites. Then there's Peter. Uncontested, the leader of the Jerusalem church, preached one sermon, 3,000 people got saved. Stood before the Sanhedrin and proclaimed the truth to those people. He was bold. He was fearless. He was sleeping in his cell the night before his planned execution. Just hanging out, doesn't care if he dies or not. And it was Peter who denied the Lord three times. It was Peter who almost drowned when he tried to walk on water to Jesus. It was Peter that Paul had to rebuke because he was caught up in the hypocrisy, hypocrisy that was so strong and so pervasive that even Barnabas was carried along with it. You know what I love about the Scripture? God does not airbrush out the blemishes of our heroes of the faith. We are treated to them and their flaws. And we also get that in Acts chapter 15, which you'll need to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 15. We see two more heroes of our faith, and we see them with their flaws. We see them sort of in raw reality. And we can place ourselves in their position as we look at Barnabas and Paul, and they have it out over a seemingly insignificant and inconsequential issue And it ends up breaking up one of the most powerful and one of the most gifted ministry partnerships, certainly in all of the Bible, if not all of history. Acts chapter 15. Let's read the verses together again. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them, in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas 
and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I agree with G. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher of Westminster Seminary. He said this, I am greatly comforted when I, whenever I read this. I am thankful for the revelation of the humanity of these two men. For if I had never read that Paul and Barnabas had a contention, I would have been afraid. These men were not angels. They were men. We need to remember that, don't we? Isn't that what Paul reminded them? You remember in Acts chapter 14, when the people of Lystra came out to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas? What did he do? We are of men of the same nature as you. We need to remember that. Because as we read of all the near heroic exploits of these two men, it's easy for us to put them on a pedestal and forget that they are mere men. We sometimes treat them as something more than that. So we're going to look at their separation. In order to understand that, we're going to we're going to look really at three separate things. First, the reason for their conflict. Second, the passion of behind this conflict. And then third, the conclusion of this whole conflict. The reason for the conflict is in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we have proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along with them. Now, you and I read this account, and friends, to be honest with you, it begs for more information, doesn't it? We really wish we, that Luke would fill in some of the gaps. We want answers to questions like, what preceded this? Was the relationship already on some rocky ground because Paul had confronted Peter and Barnabas had been caught up in his hypocrisy? Was there something else other than just John Mark that had preceded this? Was there already something that was nagging at these two men? Did they ever reconcile? When did they reconcile? How did they reconcile? What was said back and forth between these two men? You see, Luke just gives us really a brief overview of this. He doesn't give us all the salient and juicy details. And you know why? I have a theory or a reason as to why Luke did this. If you were to fast forward just a minute, 12 years to the end of the book of Acts, when, when Luke wrote this book, he is with Paul in Rome. And Paul is under house arrest in Rome, his first imprisonment. It lasted two years. And from house arrest, he wrote four letters. He wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Colossians, and he wrote Philemon. Now, if you read Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, this is what you'll read. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Philemon, verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. You see, by the end of the book of Acts, guess who is with Paul and guess who is with Luke? John Mark. So I don't think it is with any sense of joy that Luke records this incident. Luke avoids apportioning blame to either Paul or to Barnabas or to John Mark. I don't think that Luke relished the opportunity to tell us what was at the heart of this conflict. And so he just gives us the details because as Luke writes this, as difficult as it is for all of them to deal with, this ugly situation, which I think all of them regretted years later, Mark is with Luke and they are fellow laborers in the Gospel with Paul. And so he's just brief. He just tells us enough. But friends, he does tell us enough to give us a very vivid picture of what went on. So as you and I look at the reasons behind this, we're going to see Luke portray this sort of in a very brief, yet very vivid and colorful reality. 
And he uses some very strong words to address this. Now, Luke chapter, Acts chapter 15, verse 36 says that after some days, that's Luke's way of sort of giving a transition and saying there was an, sort of an undisclosed period of time. Some New Testament scholars believe that they stayed in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas teaching and preaching through a winter after the Jerusalem Council. After some days, as sort of spring set in and the travel routes began to open up, Paul said to Barnabas, let's, let's go out and visit the brethren who are in the churches. Paul is not the type of person that sits around for very long. You'll see that as he goes on these journeys. He, he just is, has restless, like a restless leg syndrome. Paul can hardly sit down for any period of time at all. He's got to get up and, and get busy moving, going somewhere. And so as spring rolls around, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go visit the brethren in the Galatian churches. They had planted those churches in Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and in Pisidian Antioch. Then those churches had begun to believe the false error of that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. So Paul wrote the Galatian letter to them. After the Jerusalem council, armed with the letter from James, Paul basically proposes a shepherding trip. Let's go back to those cities, follow up on the letter that I wrote to them, deliver to them the letter that James has given to us, and see how the sheep are doing. This is two shepherds who want to shepherd the sheep. That's a good idea. But the problem comes in verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along with them. Now, if you weren't here for Acts chapter 13, you're probably wondering yourself, why is this an issue? So we need to go back and we need to open up some old wounds, sort of pull the scab off of some very sensitive issues, if you will. So turn back to Acts chapter 13. And let's see just exactly why this was such a bone of contention. Acts chapter 13, it says in verses 1 through 4 that Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit on their first missionary journey. You'll notice in verse 5 that they, or verse 4 that they sailed to the island of Cyprus. Verse 5, when they reached Salmus, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Look at that little editorial comment. And they also had John as their helper. Now that would seem insignificant if it wasn't for verse 13. See, they had taken John along with them. John Mark is Barnabas' cousin, by the way. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 tells us that. He was in Jerusalem. He had come down with Paul and Barnabas, worked in the church in Antioch. And when the Spirit of God sent Paul and Barnabas out, they took John along with them as a helper. Just to help pack, help unpack, help carry supplies, cook clean, whatever was necessary along the trip. A very valuable individual, by the way, to support the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. A very valuable person. But after traveling through the island of Cyprus, they set sail for Pamphylia, verse 13. Paul and his companions set out to sea from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, you and I would read that, and we would think nothing of it if it wasn't for the conflict in chapter 15. We would read Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and say this is just Paul's way of telling us that something happened and John Mark had to leave. But something happened when John Mark left that was so painful to Paul and when the opportunity came up to take John Mark along with him, he said, no, we're not taking him again. Now, if I'm understanding the chronology right, when Paul and Barnabas landed with John Mark on the, in the region of Pamphylia, right there in Perga, they were looking north at the Taurus Mountains, about a 3,000-foot climb. And they are along a very hot, very damp, mosquito-infested, malaria-ridden coastline. And if I understand Scripture right, I think that that's the time that Paul came down with that bodily illness that he says to the Galatians, forced him into the Galatian regions. Likely malaria. A lot of scholars think it was malaria. Caused crushing headaches. Now sometime before, after, or during that, John Mark said, I've had enough. And he left. With the most difficult part of the journey ahead of them, the most arduous trek facing them, Paul possibly either about to become sick, or sick, or he's just gotten over the illness, 
John Mark bails on them, and he goes back to Jerusalem. Historian William Barclay calls the boy the deserter. He's been called the the defector by more than one commentator. Chrysostom said the, the lad wanted his mother. And so he went back to Jerusalem. Now, friends, I don't know if it was homesickness. I don't know if he was upset because Paul was the leader now instead of Barnabas. I don't know if it was that confrontation with Elimus on the island of Cyprus that really sort of set him on edge. But something happened and John Mark bailed and Luke doesn't fill in any of the details as to why. We do know this. It caused such hurt to Paul and Barnabas that it became the issue of conflict in Acts chapter 15. So that's the reason behind this conflict. Now let's look at the passion behind the conflict. Back to Acts chapter 15. Verse 38, verse 37 says, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along with them, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm rather glad that the words spoken by Paul and the words spoken by Barnabas in this conflict are not recorded for us. Just like you're very thankful that the words spoken during your last conflict with your coworker or your boss or your spouse on the way to church this morning have not been recorded for all of the saints to read. You thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. I don't need to know what was said to know that it was a heated discussion. How do I know that? Because Luke uses the terms in verse 37, Barnabas wanted, it means to wish, to will, or to desire. And he uses the imperfect Greek tense, which indicates a persistence and a tenacity. The idea is he kept on willing to take John Mark. But equally persistent on the other side is the Apostle Paul. Luke says he kept on insisting, imperfect tense again, insisting that they not take John Mark along. Was it that hot? There occurred between them such a sharp disagreement. The word is paroxysm in the Greek. Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says it refers to the the um, irritating, prodding, like a convoluting of emotions. There occurred such a sharp irritation to anger that they separated from one another. Friends, I don't think that this ended on this occasion. I don't think it ended amicably. I don't think it was a pretty picture. And need I remind you, these are two elders in a church, two pastors of the church in Antioch. This wasn't hidden from the congregation. They knew what had happened. They watched all of this unfold. I don't know if it was public or if it was private. But it all started when Paul said, Barnabas, what do you say we go back into the Galatian regions and we visit the churches there? We'll deliver the letter from Jerusalem. We'll follow up on the letter that I wrote. See how the sheep are doing. Great idea, Paul. I'll go tell John Mark. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tell John Mark what? I'll go tell John Mark that we're leaving. Why? So he can get ready to go. Barnabas, you're not seriously considering taking John Mark along with us, are you? Well, yeah. After what he did the last time? Well, Paul, he's... He's licked his wounds. He's gotten over that. He's, he's matured a little bit. I mean, that was a year and a half ago. I mean, lighten up, Paul. Barnabas. No, Paul, you don't understand. This is a critical juncture in, in John Mark's life. He really needs somebody to come alongside of him and, and nurture him and, and sort of grow him up and disciple him. The boy needs some grace, Paul. The boy needs some encouragement. 
Okay, fine, he needs some encouragement. Send him a card and a box of chocolates, but we're not taking him along on the journey. Uh, Paul, you're not still holding a grudge over this, are you? I can't believe that you're being so unforgiving. Barnabas, this has nothing to do with forgiveness, and I'm not holding a grudge. I've forgiven the boy. I've dealt with it, and I've moved on. This has to do with the issue of whether or not he can be trusted, whether or not we can rely upon him, and he has proven himself unreliable. We cannot trust the boy. If he deserts us again at a crucial time, it could be disastrous for the whole trip. Paul, don't you remember when you got saved and you came to Jerusalem and none of the apostles and none of the elders and none of the Christians had anything to do with you? Because they thought your conversion was a ploy. Paul, it was I who came to you and took you to the elders. It was I who gave you a second chance. It was I who showed you grace. And now I'm just asking you to show the same grace to John Mark that I showed to you. Barnabas, I appreciate all of that. I really do, but that's not the issue. The issue is not my forgiveness, and the issue is not grace. I'm looking out for everybody's well-being. Paul, even our beloved brother Peter, denied the Lord three times, and the Lord restored him and commissioned him and appointed him apostle to feed the sheep. Barnabas, we're not talking about Peter, and we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about John, Mark, and me. And the Lord also said that if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And John Mark not only put his hand to the plow and looked back, he went back, Barnabas. Don't you remember how, how arduous the journey was after he left? Don't you remember how much that hurt us? We got stoned after that. They threw rocks on us. I almost died. And we need men who are close-knit and will stick together as a team. Paul, I'm just asking that you show John Mark a little bit of grace. It's not about grace, Barnabas. This is about principle. We cannot trust somebody who has deserted us before. We're not taking him. Paul, I'm taking him. Then you're not coming with me. Fine. Now, is that how that fleshed out? Friends, I don't know. I know it was hot. I know it was serious. I know it was such a paroxysm that they separated from one another. And this is, this is our heroes. These are their flaws. Barnabas had to have marveled that the apostle of grace could not give John Mark a second shot. Paul had to have been, had to have felt like somebody had put a knife in his back that Barnabas would choose the deserter and not him. There's pain on both sides of this. I don't know if that's how it fleshed out or not, but I know that it was a heated discussion. I know that it resulted in them going in different directions. Now you're doing what comes natural for you, aren't you? Anytime there's a conflict, Anytime there's an issue, anytime there's an argument, you want to do what? Pick sides. That's what you want to do. You're really not interested in what the issue is. I just want to know what side I'm on so that I can stand there. And some of you are, are firmly over here in Paul's camp. And you're saying, I side with the Apostle Paul. He was right in this. Right down the line, that's where I would be. Now some of you are firmly over here in Barnabas's camp saying, I can't believe Paul would be so ignorant, so ungracious, so unloving, so unforgiving and uncaring toward John Mark. Some of you are in the middle, you're moderates, and you go talk to Paul, and yeah, I agree with you, 100%, I see your perspective. Then you go talk to Barnabas, yeah, I agree with you, I can see your perspective, 100%. And really, the, the camp in which you fall depends on who you last talked to. Some of you are in the middle. Now, I'm not going to address those of you in the middle, except to say you need to make up your mind. But to those of you who are in Paul's camp, let me have your ear for just a second. Listen, the reality is Paul could have been a little bit more loving than he was. That's the harsh reality. Is this not the same apostle who said, love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrongs? Isn't that this apostle? 
Isn't this the apostle that said, love does not insist on getting its own way? 1 Corinthians 13. What an opportunity to take John Mark and bring him underneath of your wing and love him and disciple him and mentor him and teach Barnabas why this was so serious, to teach John Mark those disciplines that would make him a soldier for Christ. What an opportunity to teach both Barnabas and John Mark. And from what we can read, that opportunity was blown by Paul. Furthermore, Paul, it's not about the mission. It's not about the work. After all, isn't it about people? Now, to to give Paul a little bit of grace, it is about people, and Paul's thinking of more than just one person. He's thinking about many people. So to those of you who are over here in Barnabas' camp, let me just have your ear for a second. Proverbs 25, verse 15 says that like an unsteady foot and like a bad tooth is confidence placed in a faithless man in a time of trouble. You take your confidence and you put it in somebody who's unreliable, unfaithful, and unable to carry the weight, and it is like putting all of your weight on a bad foot or like biting down on a bad tooth. It's going to come back to haunt you, and you're going to get hurt, the proverb says. Like an unsteady foot, like a bad tooth, is confidence in a faithless man that is an unfaithful, unreliable man in a time of trouble. That's where Paul's coming from. He abandoned this once. He's proven he's unreliable, and I'm not risking the mission. I'm not risking the churches. I'm not risking the welfare of the entire team for that one man just to encourage him, just to give him a second shot. Now, to those of you who are in Barnabas' camp, let me ask this. Have you ever lent money to somebody who didn't pay it back? Have you ever lent a tool to somebody, an expensive tool to somebody that they break, and they bring you back the pieces and say, sorry, There you go. And they don't replace it? How quick are you to lend them money or another tool? Well, I thought you were over here with Barnabas. You can show a little bit of grace, aren't you? It's different when you get burned, isn't it? Now I've got to confess to you, I'm firmly over here with Paul. I can understand where Barnabas is coming from. But look, when the dust settles, I cast my vote over here. I think Paul was right. And I'll show you in a bit why I think the church made the same decision. Paul was right in that. Now, Barnabas is an encourager. Barnabas means son of encouragement. That was the nickname that was given to him by the apostles. They recognize something in him. He's a people person. He's a lover of people. He's the compassionate guy. He's the guy that can pick you out of a crowd when you're having a bad day and he comes up to you and he'll he'll make you a card right behind his back while he's talking to you and hand it to you out of of nowhere. (laughs) Barnabas is one of those type of guys. Uh, Chocolates, flowers, a word, a phone call, an email, something to encourage you. That's his gift. And he can see when you're having a bad day. And the only thing he's thinking about is how can I improve that guy's day? How can I encourage him and exhort him and be a blessing to him? That's his giftedness. That's his wiring. Paul is the exact opposite. Paul is the visionary, the evangelist, the church planner. Paul is the determined, persistent. Shape up or ship out. You're on the team, you're towing the line. You want to know how Paul felt about it? Paul refused to take him along who had deserted, and the word is apostatized. That's how Paul felt about it. He bailed on us. He abandoned us when we needed him most. And we're not risking it by bringing him along again, Barnabas. Strong emotion. Barnabas is looking at the man. Paul is looking at the mission. Barnabas is looking after John Mark. Paul is looking after the entire team, all of the churches, everything that hangs on this. 
my head goes with Paul, my heart must go with Barnabas. I understand where the guy's coming from. I love people like Barnabas. I need them in my life. You need them in your life. But look, when it comes to making a wise decision, i got to go over here with my head against my heart. Because my heart could hurt me. But i got to take the wise course of action. Barnabas has a heart as big as the world. Paul has a vision as big as the world. And the two will not fit in the same tent. They have to go opposite directions. That's the passion behind this conflict. Now what happened? Let's third look at the conclusion of the conflict. There occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. There occurred such a sharp disagreement that they split up. Barnabas went one way, and Paul went the other way. In fact, if you were to grab a map and look, you would see that Barnabas went southwest, and Paul went almost northeast, up around. They, they split up the territory that they had previously covered. Barnabas took the southern half, Paul took the northern half, and he went north. And Luke continues the course and tells us what happened with Paul, but he doesn't highlight what happened with Barnabas. Now, you would think to yourself, we wish that we could read in here that there was some concessions made. I mean, Paul could have made a concession, couldn't he have? Paul could have compromised. Listen, friends, we're not talking about a doctrinal issue. This is not essential doctrine. We're not talking about doctrine. We're talking about what seems to us to be such an inconsequential, insignificant, completely avoidable conflict. It's not doctrinal. So make a compromise, Paul. Paul could have said, okay, we'll take John Mark along, but if we get halfway into this journey and we find that he's not pulling his load... We're shipping him back. Barnabas could have compromised. Barnabas could have said, okay, let's leave John Mark in Antioch. Let's give him a task to do to prove his faithfulness. Let's go on the journey and later on, if need be, we can send for John Mark and he can come and join us somewhere over in Galatia. They could have compromised that way. Or they could have both compromised and come together and said, we'll come up with a contingency plan. We'll take John Mark along, but we'll also take others in case he bails and proves again that he's unreliable. Then at least we have some other people to fall back on. But no concessions were made. Each man held to their ground and they kept on insisting. And I think there came a point when Paul said, look Barnabas, you know that I'm not going to change my mind and I know that I'm not going to change your mind. The best thing here to do is to agree to disagree and let's go our separate ways. There had to have come that point. There had to have come some sort of a crucial decision where they each went their own way. Now, they could have made those concessions, but they didn't. They stood their ground. And I see some good things that the Lord did through all of this. Let me suggest to you a couple. Because of what happened here, God actually sent the gospel not in one direction with one team, but in two directions with two teams. Do you see that? Only God has the ability to multiply by dividing. He ended up splitting up these two missionaries, and instead of sending out one team, he sent out two teams. Barnabas took Mark and he left. Paul chose Silas and he left. And they went out in two directions. I think Satan was laughing while all this was going on, thinking to himself, I've done it. I have split up the team, Paul and Barnabas. <laughs> and then they went two directions. Well, that was a stupid move. I shouldn't have done that. God somehow managed to take incredibly negative circumstances and turn them for an incredibly positive good thing. Only God can do that. That doesn't justify the 
failings or the flaws on either side of it, but it does show you how God can accomplish his purposes even through the negative situations and the ugly circumstances that we find ourselves in. But second, the Lord used this not only to send out two teams instead of one, he also used this in the life of John Mark. Because by the end of the book of Acts, Mark is with Paul, Mark is with Luke, and Paul speaks of him in glowing terms. Barnabas was able to take this young man and disciple him and mentor him and turn him into somebody that was profitable for ministry. Mark ended up writing the Gospel of Mark under Peter's oversight. Peter refers to him as my son. In other words, Mark was to Peter what Timothy was to Paul. And listen, irony of ironies, after Paul is released after the end of the book of Acts, and he travels a little bit more, he is arrested and he is thrown in Nero's dungeon. And before he dies, he writes a letter. And there are only three people in all of the world that Paul can name that he can depend upon. Number one is Luke. Because Paul says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Everybody turned their back and left me. Only Luke is with me. The second person he can count on is Timothy, the one to whom he writes the book. Timothy, get my coat and get my books and bring them to me before winter because winter is coming. The third person that he knows he can count on, John Mark. Timothy, bring John Mark with you when you come. He's profitable for ministry. <laughs> is this the same John Mark that bailed on him? Yeah. Same John Mark that's at the, the center of all of this conflict. Bring him with you, Timothy. Everybody's deserted me. There's only three guys I can depend upon. Luke, Timothy, John Mark. That was Barnabas' work, by the way. You notice how God uses the different gifts and different abilities of different men? <laughs> Barnabas is the, um, the guy that works behind the scenes with one person, making a profitable servant for Christ. Paul is the guy that plants the churches and gets the headlines and has the books written by him. But listen, folks, God uses both callings and both giftednesses. And it is part of that calling and part of that giftedness that showed these two men we were no longer fit to work together. Barnabas's eyes are on Mark. Paul's eyes are on Rome. And they can't go the same direction. They've got to split up. God used it to send the gospel in two directions. He used it to mentor John Mark. And he used the giftedness of both men. Now, was this ever reconciled? We don't read of it being reconciled in Acts. And part of us wants to read that. How did it happen? How did it flesh out? Now, I have to assume, and I have to believe, because of my theology, that this was reconciled. And I'll tell you why. Here's why. I cannot imagine, nor can I allow the thought to enter my mind, that God could use Paul to the degree that he did, in the way that he did, to pen Scripture as such a mighty instrument in his hand, if Paul remained unforgiving, bitter, and irreconcilable. I can't do that. Theologically, I have to say to myself, the only way that Paul and Barnabas really could have been used as tools in the hands of God is if both of them were yielded, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us, seeking to be at peace with one another. I believe Paul and Barnabas had to have reconciled this at some point, although Luke doesn't include it in the record. If Paul had remained bitter and irreconcilable, God would have put him on the shelf and he would have dealt with him, and I think harshly, to chastise him. At some point, I think Paul and Barnabas came together. The relationship was made better. The sourness was gotten over. There was no bitterness. There was forgiveness. There was resolution. There was an open discussion of it. And they said, we recognize, I think this is what happened. They recognized that in God's sovereignty and in his plan, he used this to show them that they were to go in opposite directions. And they went. I don't think that this was pretty, but I think it was reconciled, had to have been soon after all of this happened.
Did they ever do ministry together again? They never did. Not that we know of. Not from the book of Acts. Not from any of Paul's letters. Not from anything that we read or see in the New Testament. Do we ever see them working together again? Does that mean because they didn't like each other or they refused to? I don't think so. What kind of forgiveness is this? To say, I'll forgive you, but I'm never working with you again. I'll forgive you. I just don't want to see you again. That's not forgiveness. That's not reconciliation. That is not a humble spirit that the Apostle talks about in his letters. I think that in God's sovereignty, he had this design. I'm going to send them in two different directions. I'm going to split them up for the good. And I'm going to give to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, eventually Titus, to disciple. And I'm going to give John Mark to Barnabas. And I'm going to split them up and use them equally in different ways for good. And that's what we see happening in the New Testament. Now, we have to sort of put some flesh on this for you and I. How how do we deal with this? Let me suggest sort of three principles in conflict that we can distill from this passage. The first is this. All of us, all of us, are going to experience conflict in your lives. You're going to be amazed to find out that even godly people disagree with each other. We live under this delusion that the godlier you get and the more spiritual you get, the more you begin to think just like each other. That's not true, folks. Your personality, your wiring, your spiritual giftedness, your background, your perspective, your preferences, all of that comes into the mix. And if there's anything that should divorce divorce us from that notion, it's Paul and Barnabas. You could not find two more gifted, two more spiritual, two more talented leaders in the New Testament times than Paul and Barnabas. And yet they saw it from two, the same issue from two different perspectives. Godly men disagreeing. How do you reconcile that? I have no problem reconciling that. Because I have seen godly men disagree about inconsequential things. And let's be honest, most of the conflicts that you have and that I have, they're of this nature. Not a doctrinal issue. Doctrinal issues sometimes come up. But most of the conflicts that you and I have, most of the conflicts that you and I encounter, they're over preferences, personalities, perspectives. And oh, I wish to God that we were as passionate about eternal principles as we are about our perspectives and our preferences. Most of the conflicts we have are just like this. All of us are going to face conflicts. Second, friends, never let a conflict ruin a relationship. I don't think Paul and Barnabas would look at this episode and say, yeah, it was worth potentially sacrificing a friendship for. Never is. It never is. Instead, follow Paul's advice. Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others and consider others as more important than yourself. And submit to one another in the fear of Christ, Ephesians 5.21. Now, the pastor says that Paul and Barnabas split up but do you notice that it says that Paul was commissioned by the church to the grace of God? It doesn't say that about Barnabas. I think that's significant. I think that when the church came down on it, they said, we got to go with Paul. Barnabas left, Luke says. Paul left being commended to the grace of God for the work. They commissioned Paul. I don't think they commissioned Barnabas. If they had commissioned Barnabas, it wouldn't have been hard for Luke to tell us that. But he leaves that out, and I think intentionally. It's Paul that they commissioned. Now, friends, you're going to experience conflict. And when you do, don't let it ruin the relationship. Third, don't assassinate. This had to have been incredibly painful for Paul and for Barnabas. Think of what they had been through together. A whole year of ministry, a mission trip, the stoning, all of the encouragements, all of the discouragements, seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles, writing the book of Galatians, battling it out at the Jerusalem Council. If there ever was a team that was inseparable, it was Paul and Barnabas. And when this thing blew them apart, I think it created a tremendous amount of pain 
for both men. But one thing you do not see anywhere in the New Testament is these men taking pot shots at each other. Now there's going to come times in your life when you are hurt and somebody is going to say something about you that you wish they, you had never even thought they could ever say about you. And you're going to take it on the chin. But listen, don't assassinate. When somebody hurts you, don't take your pot shots. Don't light up your campaign. Don't go around pleading your cause. Just let the Lord deal with the, the reputation. Let the Lord deal with the situation that's going on. Entrust yourself to Him. Paul mentions Barnabas on two separate occasions. Never does he say an ill word about the man. Not once. Wouldn't that have been awkward to go back through the Galatian churches and have the Galatian Christians say, Paul, where's Barnabas? How do I tell him why he's not here? I don't think Paul took pot shots. He didn't assassinate. He didn't sit around and lick his wounds. He didn't take a couple years off from ministry to heal. You know what Paul did? Listen, friends, this is going to sound unloving, but this is good advice. There comes a time when you've been hurt that you have to get up, get over it, and get on with it. And you can't sit around and lick your wounds. You can't sit around and stew in your juices. You can't sit around and turn that over in your mind and relive the pain a thousand times while you re-experience all of it. Get up, get over it, and get on with it. The conflict was over. I think it was resolved. I think it was resolved peacefully. I believe that the, the relationship was mended before they ever went on their tour, and they left and they went in different directions. And they did so with God's blessing because they handled it biblically. But they got up, they got over it, and they got on with it. Now, I know that all of us in here share one thing in common. We are all people who are deeply flawed. We're all people who are deeply flawed. But I'm thankful for this passage because it shows me that God still uses deeply flawed individuals. Isn't that true? And I give Him praise and thanks for that. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank You for this example of Paul and Barnabas. We thank You that we can rest in the fact that there is no temptation that has overtaken us except, except such as is common to man. And we can find ourselves on both sides of this aisle, in both men's camp, understanding both of them, knowing that they were right, they were wrong, both of them, and yet, God, they relied upon your grace to resolve the relationship and to restore that relationship and to trust in you to use them as instruments and vessels for your glory. We thank you that you still use us, even though we are deeply, deeply flawed. And, Father, we confess to you that we are nothing but cracked vessels, and we are grateful that you condescend to use even us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.